you need a Bible, raise your hand, and Jerry's got some Bibles. We want to make sure is we're going to cover chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. We'll see how far we get tonight. All right, thank you, Jerry. Father, we do ask that you just bless this time in the study of your word. And Lord, I thank you that we can be here on, in the middle of the week. How We need to just, uh, what a special time of worship, just to, to just take all the things that we come in that weigh on our minds and our hearts and, and just give it to you and focus on you and um, give our hearts to you. Now we want to open our ears to you, to what you have to say to us. And Lord, we desire to walk in wisdom, and you're the one that gives us instructions on how to do that, uh, how we can be wise in this life that we live and benefit and be blessed by it. So I pray that we would be attentive, help us remember to turn ringers off our phones and, and uh, just get settled into your word being taught here and being sensitive to um, your word touching our hearts and taking root there. And so, Lord, thank you that we're here. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We actually ended at verse 3 last time in chapter 12. So we're going to pick it up at uh, verse 4. But I want to remind you that as we go through the, these chapters, that it's a rapid-fire wisdom that is given to us in each verse. And there's uh, a verse that will have a theme, and then the next verse may be a theme that's completely different or a thought. And usually in the verses, there's contrasting thoughts uh, between, uh, one who acts righteous and uh, goes down the pathway of righteousness versus the one who lives in a perverse way or a wicked way. The one who speaks truth versus the one who speaks lie. The one who is diligent versus the one who perhaps is a lazy man. The one who speaks wise words, uh, you know, versus the one who speaks words of foolishness. And so all these contrasting thoughts in each verse, which is a, a, a proverb given to us, a, a, a single thought given to us of wisdom. And, and again, it, it, there's no smooth flow going through this. But as we read through it, we're going to gain and we're going to make comment on it. Some of these verses don't need a whole lot of comment, but uh, certainly it's beneficial to us. And as we left off last week at chapter 12, that um, I want to remind us once again, as Solomon writes, inspired, of course, by the Spirit of God, to that whoever loves instruction um, and loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. And it's a foolish thing to be one that you don't receive correction or instruction from God's Word. And I want to remind us of that as we start out tonight. You see, when Paul was writing some of his last words, to Timothy, he said to Timothy that in the last days it's going to be perilous times. And in these perilous times that men are going to be lovers of self, he's talking about ultimate pride is, is going to be uh, the characteristics of men and, and lovers of money and pleasures. And he goes on to say, as he describes our society and our culture even today, because I believe that we are in the last days. I believe we're in the latter days, that the Lord is coming very soon. He would also warn Timothy that evil imposters and, and evil men are going to grow worse and worse. It isn't going to get more, more rosier. It isn't going to get better. It's going to get worse. And that's what the Bible declares to you and to me. And so he says to Timothy, Timothy, you must continue in the things that you've learned. 
from the scriptures that you've learned from childhood. And he also went on to say that all scripture, that is from Genesis to Revelation, and you know this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is, is, is inspired by God or God, God breathed. It, it comes forth from God. And it is profitable for doctrine. So doctrine is really important, isn't it? it? It profits us as we go through the word of God, all of it from Genesis to Revelation, to be established in doctrine, doctrine about salvation, the doctrine of grace, the doctrine of, of the deity of Jesus Christ, the you know, good solid doctrine concerning the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit, and on and on and on. So we want to be established in doctrine, but also it is profitable for you know, uh, reproof, that is for rebuke that needs to come and for correction and for instruction in righteousness that every man may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So you and I to be equipped for every good work, listen, the one who is wise is going to be one that's going to receive correction. And that is part of growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. To have a heart that is humbled and willing to say, Lord, I need that reproof. And I need that correction. I need that instruction. And the one who says, I'm not going to receive it. Because I've talked to Christians, and perhaps you have as well, that we can give them God's word concerning a certain matter or a certain area of their life. Uh, and they need answers and they need direction, but yet they won't receive it. Or perhaps they'll do their own thing or lean on their own understanding. So my prayer even tonight as we continue now is that our hearts would be soft before the Lord, saying, Lord, that your word is going to be profitable for not only doctrine and helping me to walk in wisdom and, and to live life the way it's supposed to be lived. The benefits and blessing of going down the right path, uh, of speaking truth, of being diligent, of guarding my mouth, of you know acting wisely in certain areas of my life, Versus that person who speaks wickedness and perverse thing, that person who goes down the wicked path, uh, those you know who are lazy, uh, that person who acts foolishly, and the negative consequences that they experience. Lord, your word is true, and I want to take it to heart and I want to receive it. So to be established in you know truth, to be established um, in the things of the Lord, we must be able to be corrected. And receive that correction in our lives, all of us, including myself. Matter of fact, we ended at verse 3. A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved. Listen, if you and I want to be established, that is, in the things of the Lord, we must believe the word of God and apply it in our lives and be willing to receive whatever the Lord says to us. And even when there's correction or he chastens us, when he rebukes us through his word, it's because he loves us and he wants us to do what is well. And we end it with talking about King Ahaz, that evil king of Judah that was going to be attacked by the king of Israel and the king of Syria. And he's trying to figure out a plan. He's trying to lean on his own understanding. He's coming up with some idea how he can keep this attack from happening. And Isaiah, the prophet, comes to him and says, this attack isn't going to happen. You know, th these two firebrands, uh, you know, are going to be broken. They're just blowing smoke. 
is not going to happen, Ahaz. And if you don't believe the word of the Lord, then you will not be established. And Ahaz was not established because he did not believe the word of the Lord. He was anxious. He was upset. He was trying to come up with his own ideas and go his own way. And it ended up that Ahaz just lived a miserable life. Listen, for you and I to be established, we must receive truth. And the Lord wants us to be established. He wants us to have stability and to be safe. And that's what the book of Proverbs talks about, safety and security and walking in wisdom to be established and have a firm foundation that we can build our lives upon. And we'll see it even tonight. But let's pick up our text at verse four now of chapter 12 of Proverbs. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is the rottenness of his bones. And so be a godly spouse. It's not only telling us to be a godly spouse. And remember that this is in poetic language. This is not picking on you ladies, but for any of us that married couples, you who are married that are here tonight, and those of you that are married to a Christian, listen, you are tremendously blessed. And understand that you have something that is so so precious and so wonderful. So I want to encourage you, pour out your love for one another every single day. You married couples that are here, you pour out your love to each other every single day. You know, when we were young, and Sue and I have been married 26 years, and some of you that are here have been married for many, many years. 50 years or even older, we have people 60 years and over in this fellowship. And it's wonderful to see that. But, you know, when we're young and, and we first get married, we're in love. And, and, and it's a very special time. But I'll tell you the truth. And many have this testimony that God wants you to grow in that love. He wants you to grow in that love for one another. And the key to growing in your love for one another, because he doesn't want our love to be stagnant. He doesn't want us to just kind of live a life where we put up with each other. He wants that love to grow where truly, as the definition of marriage, that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There's a oneness, isn't there? And you really sense that as the years go by, a oneness that is there. And he desires for your love to grow, but the key is you grow in your love for him. And as you grow in your love for him, both of you, that you pour your love out to each other and he's going to just do that work, a wonderful work in you. So you have something very, very precious. So men, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Lay down your life for her and you serve her and you cherish her. And wives, you love your husbands and you respect him. And so a godly spouse is something to be treasured and uh, thankful for and blessed by. And in verse 5, and the thoughts of the righteous are right, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. And the words of the wicked are lie and wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. So the righteous will speak what is true and right in life, and it will help people. And the wicked hear the contrasting thoughts, and we'll see this as we continue through Proverbs, the wicked will deceive and to take advantage of others. In verse 7, the wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. So remember what Jesus said about, again, being able to stand. The house that is built upon the firm foundation, Matthew chapter 7, Luke chapter 6, is the wise man who hears these sayings of mine and does them. He's likened the one who built that house on a firm foundation. And when the storms came, that house was able to stand. And so you and I, we build upon 
Jesus Christ, he is our rock, but not only just building upon knowing him, but being obedient to him. And Jesus said, don't be the one that's the foolish one that builds upon the sand is like in the one who hears these words of mine, but doesn't do them. We don't want to be as James says, you know, look in the mirror and walk away and forget what we look like. We don't want to read the word of God and then walk away from this Bible study or any Bible study or our own devotions in the morning and not, you know, remember what God has spoken to us about and what we have learned. But Lord, have it worked out in my life. And that's what's going to bring stability. So to be established, right, to have stability in life is walking in righteousness, doing rightly and walking in wisdom. We continue in verse 8 here that a man will be be con- commend it according to his wisdom, but he who is of a perverse heart will be despised. So evil thoughts and perverse thoughts will eventually have people uh, despise you. And the one who has wisdom uh, is going to help people. And listen, people will know if you walk in wisdom and you speak wisdom and you live in wisdom, people are going to notice it. And you'll be surprised how people will seek you out. They will seek you out, especially when they're confused. They will seek you out when they don't know what to do. They will seek you out when they realize that the ways of the world is a lie. It's a lie and it's a ripoff. And so the Lord desires for us to walk in that wisdom to be a blessing to others and to help others. In verse 9, better is the one who is slighted but but has a servant than he who honors himself but lacks bread. When he says the one who is slighted, it might be translated in your Bible there, lightly esteemed. In other words, don't be ashamed of the job that you have. If people look at you lightly esteemed because you work with your hands, you work out in the field, whatever it is that you do, don't ever be ashamed of the work that you do. Because the work that you do is good before the Lord. And he says work is good. And you do your job, whatever it might be. Whether people might look at your position as being esteemed or not. You do it as unto the Lord. But don't ever come to the point in the attitude of, you know what? This is beneath me and I'm not going to do it. And and again, I have talked with individuals that, well, I'm not going to do that. And they struggle with getting a job and they struggle with working and that's beneath me and I'm not going to do that. Hey, work and provide for bread for yourself and for your family. And that's for us that are leading our homes and guys, we're to provide for our families and there's nothing wrong with working with your hands or with hard work. So don't think, well, this is beneath me. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to flip hamburgers or I'm not going to dig ditches or whatever. Listen, if it's a way to provide for your family, then you're doing something that is good and honorable and don't ever be ashamed of that. And that's what here Proverbs is saying. You do your work, whatever it might be, as unto the Lord and you work hard. Because if you think that this work is beneath me and I'm not going to do it, then you're going to end up lacking bread is what the word of God tells us. And then in verse 10, a righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. So here you got to understand the righteous man regards the life of his animal. When you had an ox, when you had sheep, those animals you were to take care of. You know, that ox, if the law would go on to say that if it got out of the 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 field out of your pasture and it's going down the road as a neighbor you're to help that 
neighbor get his ox back? You're not just to let it go. And then three days later, here's your neighbor looking for the ox. Oh, I saw him. He was running down the road, you know, serves him right and all this stuff. You don't do that. Jesus said, you know, how many of you, if a sheep falls into a pit, then on the Sabbath day, you'll pull it out. So, you know, the value of their animals and, and livestock, because that was their livelihood. Now, today, you know, we have pets, all of us, and we take good care of them. There are those groups that take this to the extreme. And I've heard them take this. See, you're supposed to, to you know, uh, be one that, um, you know, regards the life of his animal, a righteous person. And so you shouldn't eat a cow or you shouldn't eat a chicken or, you know, or a pig or anything like that. And you got those extreme groups that say that, listen, a cow's meant to be eaten, okay? I'll just say that. <laughs> or milked. And I know that's perhaps some of you had a pet Betsy, you know, out in the pasture or something. That's fine. But God did give us, you know, uh, livestock for us to eat. And I sure appreciate those who raise cattle and, and chickens and all of that because I enjoy eating it, so... So be kind to animals, and, and in this, you know, you were to, you know, be kind to the ox, and, and the, you know, that was your livelihood, and treat them well, and a righteous man is going to do that. But the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel, and he who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows vain things is devoid of understanding. So here, as we continue on, uh, we're being told that um, don't go after those vain things. Uh, again, uh, the one who goes after them, the void of understanding, the one who tills the land will be satisfied with bread. The Lord telling us over and over again that work is good. And I think as I th- think about this, as we make application for us, you know, there's always that person that, that dreams of winning the lotto. I remember when I had a job years ago, and this one guy, man, um, he was going to win the lottery, and he always talked about it every single day. And it's like, you're not going to win the lottery. He'd say, how do you know? Well, kind of the odds are in my favor. 215 million to one, something like that. The odds are better for you to get hit by lightning 11 times in your lifetime. Well, somebody's got to win. I understand that. But listen, whether you do that or not, that's between you and the Lord. But there are those who will just, you know, get so involved in these schemes and multi-marketing kind of schemes. And I've known Christians that they get involved in that. And we're going to have a big home. Or we're going to have a swimming pool. And we're going to get involved in these multi-level marketing kind of schemes and things like that. Be careful. Okay? Just be careful in those things. And here he's saying, you till the ground, you know, you're going to have bread. Work is good. But he goes on to say, he who follows after vain things, devoid of understanding. And and what you put your time and your money and effort into, just be wise in that. In verse 12, the wicked covet the catch of evil men, but the root of the righteous yields fruit. Uh, Get God's word uh, in your heart and let it take root there. And you will walk in righteousness and yield fruit. And, of course, we talked about that a couple Sundays ago in the parable of the sower. To get our hearts to be like fertile soil, that it may take root there and produce fruit in our lives. Jesus said this, abide in me. And as you abide in me, you're going to bear fruit. As you abide in my word and abide in my love. So I pray for us that we're a fruitful people, a fruity people. Because we have the word of God that is in us and taking root in our hearts. 
And that's how we do, you know. Let it take root there. And really be able to be one that yields fruit because of it and walks in righteousness as this righteousness is worked out in your life. And then verse 13, the wicked is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will come through trouble. And a man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth, but the recompense of man's hand will be rendered to him. So again, we, we see that how we speak uh, and speaking wisely versus that who speaks you know, wickedly or speaks. Uh, verse 13 is kind of interested. Uh, the wicked is ensnared by the transgression of, of his lips. It reminds me of a, somebody who commits a crime and then they brag to their friends about it. And so they end up getting caught. Or even today, you've had those who commit a crime and then they post it on social media. So they end up getting caught. Not a very wise thing to do. It's a foolish thing to do. Matter of fact, last week, you perhaps saw this on the news that there was somebody uh, in the Denver area that was going up in the mountains and spray painting the rocks there. And uh, they wanted to know who it was. Well, the guy posted it on social media. And they were, it was easy to catch him because he also posted his car he was getting into with the driver, driver's plates there, the license plate. So they were able to pick him up. Pretty foolish thing. So the lips of one who likes to brag about, you know, the wickedness that he did um, here, um, the wicked is ensnared by that. But the righteous will come through trouble. And a man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth. And then again, the, the contrast and the recompense of man's hands will be rendered uh, to him. In other words, good speech and good behavior has its good rewards is what we're being told. In verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. And a fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. So don't, don't be a know-it-all. And don't be a hothead. Um, it's not the way of a Christian. The one who just knows it all and you can't tell me anything and you know, you're not going to correct me on anything or one who is easily you know, angered and um, is a hothead. Here we see that um, a fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. In verse 17, he who speaks truth declares righteousness, but a false witness deceit. And there is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. And so what we are to do is, again, the Bible has a lot to, to um, say to you and to me, the words that we speak and what it does. And in Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul was writing to that church, he said, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. You know, it is important what it is that we say. And the Bible tells you and me not to let any corrupt word proceed out of our mouths. And we are to build up people in what we say. Uh, we are not to be tearing down. And even when we give correction or rebuke to somebody, it is for the idea of building them up. For there to be repentance or restoration or for them to do well. But we speak edification to others. And I pray that none of us would have a desire that we speak that we're going to tear people down. We're not to be about that. And we're going to see that he continues to talk about these things. Verse 19, the truthful lips shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Some people think they lie and they'll, they'll never get caught. Listen, 
you're going to get caught in your lie eventually. But the thing to remember is that God knows that you're lying. And he knows everything and he sees everything. And we've already seen that he hates lying. We saw that in chapter 6. He hates lying. He doesn't hate the liar, but he hates that act of lying. And, and he hates it because it's so destructive. And here we continue to read in, in verse 20, Deceit is the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. No grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked shall be filled with evil. And lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. And so we see here that truth will stand and bring joy And the end of righteousness will stand as we speak truth, as we do what is right. But lying and tearing down people um, and the wicked uh, shall be filled with evil um, and his ways will come to an end. It's but for a moment, deceit in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy, and then we give joy to others. In verse 23, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness. It's better to say nothing than to speak foolishness. We're going to see that Proverbs is going to talk a lot about guarding our mouths and thinking before we speak. So, you know, we want to speak wisely. So, you know, here's some good counsel given to us. It's better to say nothing than to speak foolishness. And then in verse 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Again, being a slugger will cause you to be enslaved to something or to someone. And then in verse 25, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Uh, You know, for the one who's discouraged, for the one who's depressed, it's because they have anxiety in their heart. And why is that anxiety there? For different reasons. It may be fear, uncertainty, hopelessness. Then anxiety, there's a lot of things that causes anxiety. And then it causes a person to be depressed and down and discouraged. And that's why, listen, prayer and an encouraging word is such a help. I think that everybody here, that you want to be a hope to others. And rather than being a know-it-all or a hothead or... You know, you know, saying words that um, just are negative. We want to encourage and we want to be gentle and we want to give an encouraging word to them, don't we? And we want to pray for them and pray with them and give them the word of God. That's why it's so important that we grow in the word of God is, you know, the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And as you share the promises of God and the hope that the Lord gives to you and to me, and you share it with others that have anxiety in their hearts, man, it helps them. And it's a delight to them. Remember Psalm 40, 94, verse 19, in the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. And you see, we're to give the comfort of the Lord to others as there are those who will have anxiety that is in their heart and in their soul. And there are many people today that are anxious. There are many people today that are discouraged, feel hopeless, are depressed. And I don't understand it all. But I do know this, that God's word tells me that I can help them and encourage them and build them up by giving words of comfort to them. 
and to remind them of God's promises and to bring them to the Lord who cares for them and loves them and to build them up and to come alongside of them and to be patient with them. So prayer and encouragement in God's word helps tremendously. Will we be that one that are going to help others that feel down? Because we all can feel down in our own lives, can't we? We go through seasons where we feel defeated and discouraged and depressed. And what helps is when you have somebody that you sense really cares for you, that brings you the word of God and prays for you, that it makes a world of difference and to bring the Lord's comfort to them. And I know that it has blessed me in my life when I feel like that I'm down and discouraged and I feel defeated at times. And somebody comes along, just reminds me of the goodness of the Lord and the promises of God and that he's with me and and the comfort of the Lord given to me. And he'll help you in that. It's Philippians that says, be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You see, to remind others that we have so much to be thankful for, especially we as Christians, don't we? And even in the difficulties that we go through or discouraging times, we have reason as a Christian always to be thankful because we have the Lord. And he loves us. And we're going to get to the other side, right, as we talked about on Sunday. We're going to go to heaven. And we're going to get there. And and we have a wonderful future. So we always have a reason to be thankful. And then as we do that and give our supplications to him, then the peace of God will rule in our hearts to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, I want to have the peace of God. You and I come into Christ, we have peace with God. But I also want to have the peace of God that rules in my heart. And I have to be reminded of God's promises and comfort and word given to me that will help me and having that peace of God that is ruling in my heart. So encourage others. Let's not be one that tears down and bums people out and arrogant and a know-it-all or hothead all the time. Hey, you want to be known as one that people are going to look to you, one who is a comforter that is going to bring the promises and encouragement of God's word to others, especially when they have anxiety that's in their heart. So we continue here in verse 26. The righteous should uh, choose his friends carefully for the way the wicked leads them astray. You know, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 that evil company corrupts good habits. You know, be careful who it is that you hang out with. I think all of us that are here, we know that. But it's something that we have to teach our kids as well. And one of the things that I always stress to others and when I talk with others is that it is important that you be in fellowship with other brothers and sisters. You know, for, for the men to get together and have other men that are going to encourage them, you know, to, to hold them accountable. For the ladies to get together and have the same thing. It's good for these kids upstairs to have good godly relationship with other kids. It's good for, for all of us to have brothers and sisters in our lives that are going to encourage us and bless us and help us with our walk. So, you know, because uh, we can get caught up up on campus, at the school, at the workplace with those who are going to lead you astray. So we want to be careful who it is that, that we hang out with. And it doesn't mean we don't witness to them. It doesn't mean that we don't try to bring the gospel to them or be a light to them. That's not what I'm saying. 
But here, the righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way the wicked leads them astray. Don't let anybody lead you astray. Don't let anybody lead you astray. Be careful in that. And then in verse 27, the lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. So the lazy man doesn't roast what he took in hunting. I remind my kids of this when we go fishing. And we do catch and release most of the time, uh, vast majority of the time. But there's always a few fish through the year that we will, you know, harvest and eat when we're out camping. And I tell the kids, you catch it, you clean it, all right? Don't expect me to clean it so you can have a meal. So if you want to eat that fish, you know, you need to clean it. And then we'll cook it for you. So I don't know. That's what it reminded me of. So I know you have your own application somehow. And the way of righteousness is life. And it's in its pathways, there is no death. And so a path you take, we want to take life, the path of life and not the path of death. Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And what? Broad is the way, the pathway that leads to death. And he said that many will take it. So we want to make sure that we point people to the narrow road that leads to life. And we want to make sure that we're on that path also, as Proverbs have said, that is a path of righteousness and a good path as we experience that life abundantly that the Lord has for us. Chapter 13, verse 1, A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Again, we need to take the counsel of God and listen to godly rebuke. And also, a parent's rebuke. And, and this is something that um, I've talked to my own kids about, that I'll talk with other kids about. Listen, if kids aren't listening to the godly rebuke and counsel of their parents then chances are they're not going to be listening to their heavenly father's rebuke. And it's a wise child that heeds his father's instruction. And we even see that with Jesus in John chapter 8. He says, I do which pleases my father. And I want to live that life. So to remind us once again that rebuke is a very important part of being um, a follower of Jesus Christ, to accept that. To receive wise counsel and to be humble enough to say, yes, Lord, I know I'm going the wrong way. I'm speaking the wrong things. I'm doing the wrong things. I'm being rebuked. I'm being, you know, chastened. I'm being reproved, rebuked. And so, Lord, I want to receive that because you care for me and you want me to do well in life. So I want to accept it. And that leads to maturity. In verse 2, and a man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. And he who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. You know, I've talked about this before, but people will tell me, well, I just say what's on my mind. Let me remind you what the Bible tells us. The Bible says that we're to renew our minds. And then we are to guard our mouths. We're to be wise in what it is that we say. And we don't want to end up eating our own words in foolishness. And even David prayed this. You recall in Psalm 141, verse 3, that David prayed, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, and keep watch over the door of my lips. So real key in walking in wisdom and speaking wisdom is guard your mouth. And as we guard our mouths, we're going to see that, that we're going to be told to, to be quick to hear and slow to speak. 
I think that's why the Lord gave us two ears and he gave us one mouth. So that we hear. But, you know, preserve your life by not speaking foolishly. Speaking just what's on your mind. That's not a spiritual quality. But to speak wisely. You know, just not opening up your mouth and spewing out things that leads to destruction, just as it says here. That he who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. What do you mean destruction? You start just saying what's on your mind, you start destroying relationships. And your godly integrity. And godly character. It's just bad news. So we want to renew our minds and we want to keep watch over the door of our lips. We want to set a guard over our mouths. And we want to be wise in the things that we say. That's the way of the Lord. And the soul of the lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. Verse 4. So again, speaking about the lazy person, and you've heard the saying, as he says here, the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. You're going to have blessing. If you want your dreams to come true, you got to get out of bed. You got to get out of bed and get going. And a righteous man hates lying, but a wicked man is loathsome and comes to shame. And righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows the sinner. And so we've already seen that, that God hates lying. And um, there is um, righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but wickedness overthrows uh, the sinner. And in verse 7, there is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing. And one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. I got that underlined. Because we've already known and seen and read and discussed, you know, what really defined riches for you and for me? Is it just earthly possessions and money? No, that doesn't define what really makes us rich. True riches are found in Christ the one who's forgiven, the one who has relationship and closeness with the Lord. And it reminds me so much, I was thinking about this, that when Jesus was writing those letters to the seven churches of Consular Asia in chapters 2 and 3, the last letter that he wrote was to the lukewarm church. And, and we remember the lukewarm church. Remember Jesus said, you're neither hot nor cold, and I'm about ready to vomit you out of my mouth. And, and he didn't have anything good to say to the church at Laodicea. But he also went on to say to them, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, the city of Laodicea at this time was a very wealthy city. That's where the, the Roman circus came and, you know, it was entertainment. It was uh, a lot of high society people that was there and it was a very beautiful city. And what they wanted to do is make it more beautiful. So in the Lucas Valley there, just about, you know, 100 miles east of uh, where Ephesus was, there was Areopagus, there was Laodicea, there was Colossae. Matter of fact, you might recall that when we're going through Colossians, that Paul wrote a letter to the church of Laodicea. We don't have that letter in the canon of scriptures. I would have loved to have seen what Paul said to that church. Because remember he said, the letter that I wrote to the Laodiceans, make sure that you read it in Colossae. And this letter in Colossae, make sure that you read it in the church of Laodicea. I would have loved to have read, 
you know, or know what was in that letter that Paul wrote to the believers at Laodicea because Jesus, some 30-some years later after Paul wrote that letter, he wrote a letter to the church of Laodicea, didn't have anything good to say about them. They thought they had it made. Man, we're wealthy, we're rich. And Jesus says to them, don't you know that you're poor, miserable, and wretched? Because you're lukewarm. And you're not one that is pressing into me and desiring to really know me. And it's a powerful study to where I don't want us to ever be like the Church of Laodicea, obviously. I want to be like the Church of Philadelphia, the faithful church. That he said, you have a little strength. Sometimes I feel like I just got a little strength, Lord. But he would commend them because you have not denied my name or my word. And he would promise them great things that I'm going to take you out of and away from the hour of tribulation. I want to be the faithful church. Not the one because we think that we have all this stuff and we're rich and, and, and you know, we got the money or the programs or whatever. That doesn't make us rich ever. May we always remember that. I would rather, and I mean this, I would rather be one that we end up on our knees praying, Lord, you know, Oh, Lord, please provide for us. You know, what I'm saying is when we first became a church, when we were in the house, Sue and I, we didn't know about anything starting a church. And we just said, we're going to open up the Bible. We're going to teach through the Bible. We're just going to be faithful to that. We're going to let the Lord take care of us in that. And as we did, we got our first building, a little, little tiny place downtown. And I remember praying, Lord, you know, I just pray that we can pay the the rent this month. And the rent was due tomorrow. We didn't have the money. But just trusting in the Lord and, and literally somebody will come knock on the door and say, oh, you know, we've been gone for a little while. We haven't given our tithes. We wanted to give it to you today. And it was we were able to pay the bills. I'd rather be in a place like that where we're on our knees, just dependent upon the Lord, looking to the Lord, being guided by the Lord, than putting our trust in other things because we think we're rich and we got a lot of people and we got a big building. Now, those things can be a blessing. Don't misunderstand me. But Calvary Chapel, may we always depend on him and look to him and remember that our richness and our wealth is found in Christ and desiring to be obedient to him and humble before him. And we boast in him. We worship him. Not a name, not a building, not a pastor, not a program, any of that. Our richness and our wealth is found in Christ. And may we always depend on him in everything. I'd rather be in that place of just, you know, Lord, where are you going to provide? How are you going to provide? We're just going to watch you work and, and you're going to guide us and direct us. So I can't wait to see what the Lord's going to do because he has made us rich, hasn't he? As a church, he's blessed us. We are so blessed, not because of size or money or any of that. He's blessed because there are people that are here that love him. And there are people in this church that love one another. And that's where we find ourselves to be rich in Christ. Verse 8, the ransom of a man's life is his riches, but the poor does not hear Rebuke um, those with riches. Um, people will want those riches at times, and we see that. And the light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. 
we know that the life and testimony of the righteous is like a light. Just as Jesus said, we read on Sunday, that he would say to you and to me that you don't light a lamp and put it and hide it somewhere. You let it shine. You let it illuminate. And what you and I are to do with our lives is to be a light, to illuminate to others that are in darkness. Because as I mentioned, evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse, aren't they? And you and I, we are light to be a light in this dark world. And it's interesting, when it gets darker, the light illuminates more. When I was a couple weeks ago, when Luke was teaching, I was in the Washakie Wilderness in Wyoming. There was no one else that was there, completely dark. Couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And I had a little bitty flashlight, and that thing was like a beam of light. It was so bright. And, and the thing I needed it is because no one was there where I was camping. No one was there at all except for a black bear that was hanging out that wanted to eat dinner with me. Um, he was just a little black bear. I don't think he wanted to eat me for dinner. He was just, he was bored, I think, more than anything. So I'd have that light and just shining it out there. And I remember, man, I'm so glad I got this flashlight. But it was dark. It's getting dark out there. So let your light shine, okay? And don't hide it. Don't hide it. You know, we're going to see in a couple of weeks, we got some incredible stories that are coming up in, in Luke's gospel. One of those stories is that woman with the issue of blood and reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' garment. And Jesus stops that procession and says, who touched me? And the disciples, and I imagine Peter's the one that's leading this. What do you mean, who touched you? Well, virtue went out of me. And it says that she was content just to kind of sneak away. And Jesus called her and said, hey, come here. And he spoke to her. Because Jesus isn't going to let you hide forever to be a secret disciple. He's going to call you out for you to be a light to others. Not to just sneak away. She would have been very content in doing that, being healed. But he said, daughter, and we'll talk about that. And he desires for you to be that light. In the world, in the darkness that's around us, that people may see that light and to know that you've been brought out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this word that's given to us. And, um, Lord, these Proverbs. And I just pray that you would, Lord, just help us to grow in wisdom, to be one that grows in your word, and to be a light to others. Lord, I'm so thankful for these verses that we've gone over. Lord, may we apply them in our lives and how we speak and how we act and being diligent in life. But Lord, more than anything, to know that life comes from you. And we're going to come to the communion table on this night. And as we do, as we hold the elements, we remember what Jesus did in allowing his body to be broken and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. And Lord, we thank you for that. That the one who was truly righteous, who lived a perfect righteous life, came and died for us that we might be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ through faith. And so Lord, we thank you for that. 
And may we understand that our riches are found in our relationship with you. And so, Father, I want to pray if there's anyone here listening to this message that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that he is your salvation and he's the one that is the author of eternal life. There is none other, and he died for you because he loves you, because sin that you committed, and all of us have sinned, has separated you from God. And the wages of sin is death. That's why Jesus came to die for you. Because he loves you. That's why we come to the communion table to remember what Jesus did for us in this new covenant that we belong to. A covenant of love, of grace, of God dwelling in our hearts, of salvation truly being forgiven. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ turning to him and surrendering your life to him. And you can do that if that applies to anybody here tonight. Give your life to Jesus. He loves you. He is your only hope. There is no other hope. And this world is not your hope. And you cry out to him sincerely. That Jesus, I come to you and I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior because I believe you did die for me and that you rose from the grave and you're alive. And I come in faith believing that you are the Son of God. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for dying for me and loving me and giving me eternal life and a new life. I thank you in Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer, if you're here and you want to know more about the gospel, perhaps you've got questions, I'm going to hang around, but I want you to come and talk to me. And Lord, right now, as we just remain in an attitude of worship, as the communion elements are being handed out, that we would just look to you and be thankful for your wonderful, incredible, eternal provision because you suffered for us and died for us, but you rose again. So, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.